This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Food Heals Podcast, episode 90. It shows my feet, you know, stepping on the scale, and then it shows the scale readout, and it says what Adam sees, and it says minus 30. What Bobby sees, still, still fat. fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's like a cartoon. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today's guests are Adam and Bobby Sud. You remember the Sud brothers from episodes 68 and 69, where Adam shared his transformational journey of beating his drug addiction and food addiction, losing over 100 pounds, and reversing his type 2 diabetes by adopting a plant-based vegan diet. Now Adam is on a mission to help his twin brother Bobby feel as amazing as he does and to teach the world how to live a healthy, holistic lifestyle. Yep, so today we're back with Bobby, who is a passionate wildlife enthusiast and fellow filmmaker. His environmental short titled We Easily Forget won the Emerging Filmmaker Award at the 2013 Gray's Reef Ocean Film Festival. Wow, that is so freaking cool. I know. Bobby is also passionate about all forms of artistic and scientific exploration. And just a few months ago, Bobby was a type 2 diabetic taking multiple prescription meds and was suffering from depression. Bobby has moved in with Adam for six months and living his plant-based lifestyle and is on his way to recovery. So we're so excited to catch up with them and see what's really happened over the last few months since we talked to them last time. But first, our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by the online summit Healing Cancer in This Century. The Healing Cancer in This Century Summit bridges the gap between modern integrative medical science, mind-body connection, energy healing science, and spiritual science, which are me and Susie's faves. <laughs> With over 1 million views from people all over the world in the last three cancer online video summits, the search for healing is still on. And I'm very excited to be a part of this year's summit, my first time, among experts like Dr. Ben Johnson, who was featured in the movie The Secret, Evita Rampart, who you know from our show, we've had her on the show to talk about how she healed her ovarian cancer, and also included in the summit is Dr. Oz's Reiki healer, Pamela Miles. That sounds like an amazing lineup. What did they interview you about, Allie? 
So my interview was really about the story that Food Heals Nation has heard before, losing my parents to cancer. But then we went into a lot more ways of healing holistically and ways of recognizing what emotions are causing the trauma in your life and how you're dealing with them and are they manifesting in your body. And so we talked about a lot of things that we have talked about on the podcast and a lot of things we haven't. So I'm really excited for this interview to go live. And I was really honored to be among these like incredible speakers that I, you know, I have been doing this for way longer than I have. So it's a really, really exciting lineup. And you know, this is just not another online video conference that talks about the same old treatments that we've been hearing about and using for the last six decades. This is really about exploring the connection of emotional traumas, chronic negative emotions, even child abuse as part of the root cause of cancer sometimes, and other chronic and degenerative diseases. That is fascinating. I think that really needs to be addressed, especially with cancer, and especially with cancer being so prevalent yeah. in our society. And the best part is it's completely free. Exactly. It's free. They wanted to make it accessible for everyone. You will hear from the best speakers from across the globe, including Europe, Asia, and the Americas. So just go to foodhealsnation.com slash healing cancer, and we'll tell you exactly how to sign up. So sign up now so you don't miss out foodhealsnation.com slash healing cancer. Next up, our interview with the Sud Brothers. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. We're back with Adam and Bobby Sud, twin brothers who are working together to make the world a healthier place. If you didn't have a chance to listen to our first two-part interview with Adam and Bobby, make sure to go back and listen to episodes 68 and 69. Yeah, they're excellent episodes. We got so much good feedback about them, which we're going to talk about. Adam and Bobby grew up in a healthy household, and in fact, their father was one of the founding investors of Whole Foods Market. Ironically, even though their dad's company is the mecca for organic Whole Foods, Adam found himself addicted to fast food and Adderall throughout college. Just three years ago, Adam weighed 300 pounds, was a type 2 diabetic, a drug addict, a fast food addict, and was suffering from severe depression. While in rehab, he took it upon himself to reverse his type 2 diabetes by implementing a plant-based diet into his recovery program of medication and therapy. Within six months, he reversed the diabetes, and today he's over three years sober and maintains a healthy weight. So go back and listen, like we said, to that episode. There's two episodes, one with Adam, one with Adam and Bobby. So we're back. They're here in the studio. Welcome. They'll be documenting every moment, doing a podcast and web series as they're doing their project, which they're going to tell us all about. Welcome back. Welcome back, guys. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you. Yeah. All right. So first of all, your first two interviews got such a huge reaction, especially in our private Facebook group, which Adam, you're in, but Bobby, don't think you are. So you're welcome to join foodhealsgroup.com. Listen to some of the comments that people say. Camille said, amazing. Laura says, the podcast with Adam and his story was amazing. I was screaming out amen when you were talking about how all they do in rehab is switch you from one addiction to another, from opiates, from fast food to nicotine, from sugar and caffeine. It's sick. And I went through it as well. I am now stimulant and opiate free for five years. My life is so much better taking care of my body. Much love. Anne says it was such a captivating story. Aaron says 
This podcast and the second are so good. What an amazing story, and thank you for sharing it, Adam. Very inspiring and empowering. Might have to listen to it a second time. I mean, you guys are changing people's lives. You're inspiring people. You're captivating audiences wow. with your story. I don't even know what to say. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say amazing. Everybody said amazing. It's, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. We got feedback. We say too amazing too many times. So that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to everybody that uh, that listened and enjoyed it. It means a lot. Yeah. So. so for anyone who hasn't had a chance to listen to the first two episodes, can you each just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, what your next steps are? Yeah. I'm Adam. I noticed when we listened to it, that we have very similar voices. Yes. Okay, so I think it's good if, if we say who's talking. Go for it. Okay, so um, I'm Adam, and I work as a holistic lifestyle coach, and I developed a program for treating addiction, essentially as a tool for addiction recovery, uh, using plant-based nutrition. And I've also seen it used as a tool uh, to deter relapse, mm-hmm. so relapse prevention. The benefit that I see that it has is that it in itself is an act of mindfulness. When you prepare a meal that is about promoting health and wellness, you are aware of what you're putting in your body and what that does and where you are as a physical person. It's an act of self-care. It's an act of self-love. It is saying that you choose to be a better version of yourself physically, spiritually, mentally today than you were the day before. Those are such necessary things for recovery. And, and it's almost a reaffirmation saying that I'm choosing to recover today. Mm-hmm. Today I'm making every action, even the smallest of actions, even what I put into my body as fuel, is going to be about recovery. And I think that there's a great quote from Simon Sinek, and I may have said this in the last podcast, that when you get the environment right, everyone has the capacity for remarkable change. Mm. Well, if you look at your body as an environment in which the disease lives, if you don't fix the environment, then just adding the medication, it just altering the chemistry of an already sick environment. You have to get yourself sort of back to zero. Uh, You have to remove the physical ailments in order to allow the medicine to have its, you know, greatest effect. It it can be most effective when you're healthy. You could be on medications that you don't need to be on, and you could be taking doses that are far too great than what you actually need. So I think that nutrition, but I would say more importantly, plant-based nutrition, should be standard practice in Mm -hmm. addiction recovery. Yeah, in addiction recovery and disease recovery. I mean, it's like we have all these people that post questions and send in emails. And, you know, of course, there are specific protocols for specific diseases. But number one, get on a plant-based diet. I mean, if you've read the the Michael Greger book, How Not to Die, Mm -hmm. it's an unbelievable book. Listeners, if you haven't read it, please read it. It demonstrates how the top 15 causes of premature death in this country can be treated, prevented, and possibly even reversed through a plant-based diet and and that's and one of them is suicide Mm -hmm. that's incredible if that is the preventative and the best treatment for the top 15 diseases then that should be your default diet yeah like he says in the book even if it just took care of number one which is heart disease yeah then until you see or hear any differently that should still be the default diet even if it didn't take care of the other 14 I don't remember specifically from the book, but what I believe is that once you start taking care of your body with a plant-based diet, you start healing the emotions that you're dealing with. And so that's why it can prevent something such as suicide or even just depression or something that would lead to something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby, tell us about you. Well, it was, I guess, almost four months from uh, today that 
I started on this vegan lifestyle. I moved in with my brother. I mm-hmm. moved here from Austin. Mm-hmm. At the time, I weighed 250 pounds. Only three months later, I had lost 50 pounds. So uh, three right months, now, 50 yeah. pounds. Wow. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Uh, reversed my diabetes and lowered my cholesterol and blood pressure. That's and um, awesome. It's been incredible but he still refuses to go shopping for new clothes i don't know why like that's like he's like well if i'm gonna continue to lose weight then i'll just have to buy him again it's like yeah but i want you to see like what you look like in all new clothes because it, it makes a difference yeah you yeah, know i hear that just go to target somewhere yeah. cheap <laughs> get some get some t-shirts <laughs> or something well we were just talking about emotions and i know i've had at times gained and lost weight like is there an emotional component obviously behind that like that you're dealing with that you now have this different body or this body maybe you had when you were younger. Is there an emotional component for that? Oh, absolutely. What's interesting is uh, this great American philosopher, Joseph Campbell, said that I don't believe people are looking for the meaning of life as much as they are looking for the experience of being alive. Mm. When we were in Nepal two years ago, and there were all these great opportunities to do like Everest Base Camp and all these once in a lifetime, if you're lucky, things that I couldn't do because physically I couldn't do them. And they would have been unbelievable if I could have, and it hurt that I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it was targeting myself. The hurt was targeted at me, you know, as if, how could you do this to yourself? Look, how, you know, how great your life would be if you could have these experiences. So slowly, I've, that hurt has been going away, you know, because mm-hmm. now that I'm healthier and I can do more than I could before. That's amazing. I mean, that's like what we were just talking about, how the physical can it can end up healing the emotional, you know, and, and vice versa. Sometimes the emotional can heal the physical. So it's all, you know, a holistic approach. Exactly. I think that if you leave out any one part, then you're missing the complete recovery. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, you know, I, I get so easily motivated by his, the success that he's been having. Mm-hmm. And I forget that, you know, the emotional stuff takes so much longer his weight loss journey is happening really, really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, he did that drawing because he does these really cool illustrations of the experience as it's happening. Ooh. It's sort of like this cathartic way of, of experiencing it from outside of himself. That's cool. Of you on the scale after you lost 30 pounds, which is right. a serious amount of weight, yes. right? I'll let Bobby describe the, the illustration. I, I woke up in the morning, I saw it, and I just started laughing, but... It shows my feet, you know, stepping on the scale, and then it shows the scale readout, and it says what Adam sees, and it says minus 30. What Bobby sees, still Still fat. fat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like a cartoon. That's awesome. But he does these great... But but uh, it was feeling like that for a while. You know, I was... People were saying... I can see it, or it was showing on the scale, but I, I didn't see it. Yeah. You know? I read this great book once called Why French Women Don't Get Fat. It was a philosophy on how to eat, on how to look at food, and more importantly, your, your own body and body weight and body issues. And in it, it said French women don't have scales. They wouldn't think about getting on a scale. What they do is they measure themselves with a tape measure. Yeah. And according to you know that, they will gauge whether they've gained weight or whatever. And because the, the scale can be deceptive, you, especially for exactly. women, we can gain water weight or we can bloat or it can, muscle. Gain, it can go like that. Right. And if you build more muscle versus fat, I always thought that was really interesting that they didn't, because because of that, because you did lose weight, but you mm-hmm. still couldn't accept it in your mind. You're still like, nope, well, not it, done yet. Yeah, it's because losing weight, you're not actually losing weight, you're losing mass. Weight is determined by gravity. So if you could see the mass that you're losing, it would be, you know, more motivating, I guess. Yeah. Well, what's interesting it. is that, like you said, the scale can be deceiving, and that's why we would do a weigh-in once a month. Yeah. 
on the fourth of every month, mm-hmm. that's when he weighs in because that allows enough time to go by to where you can see a significant uh, amount of change. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do it every day or even you know once every week, you're going to see those changes. And, and especially if you're not weighing yourself at the same time every day, I fluctuate 12 pounds a day. Um, wow. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, but I eat, I eat a lot. I eat a lot. So, yeah. but that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, at <laughs> most, and it's anywhere between yeah. eight and twelve. So in the morning, I'm anywhere between eight and twelve pounds lighter than I am right before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And if I had was trying to lose weight and I weighed myself in the morning one day and then at night, I'd be like, oh my God, how did I gain weight? But uh, there's this other study that I read that said that it takes. I think four weeks for someone else to see weight loss in you and something like eight to 10 weeks for you to see weight loss in yourself. Oh, wow. And so I told him, I said, listen, you know, when I'm telling you that, you know, it looks like you're losing weight, I know it's it's really frustrating because you want to believe me when I say that, but you can't see it in the mirror. Mm-hmm, so yeah. just use it as motivation. Don't judge yourself in the mirror because I, I believe early on you're still looking for what's wrong mm-hmm. rather than the improvements that you're making. And so just, you know, stay with it because so many people that I've coached month two or even month and a half, when they get on the scale and they see they've lost, you know, 12, 15 pounds and they say, well, it says I lost 15 pounds, but I still feel overweight and I still look overweight. I'll just quit. Mm. And so, you know, just to keep moving because this is going to be a, a slow process, even though it hasn't been for him. But I think that that was because you, you can see it now. I've shown you. Especially yeah. when I show you the before and after photo, yeah, which I'll show that. you guys. It's pretty obvious. And the fact that you've reversed diabetes, which is yeah. huge, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's That's proof. even more important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's proof oh, wow. positive. Oh, Let's wow. See. Yeah. You look spot. great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And this was even before we met you, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Last time. I can understand how it can be frustrating when, you're, when you've worked so hard and it's been, you know, four months, but the finish line still seems so far away. But like I told you, I said, this is the least out of shape you're going to be ever again today. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, you're going to be in better shape. and You're going to be healthier. So this is the least healthy you're going to be ever again for the rest of your life. And that's an empowering thought. And so what is your words of encouragement for sustaining it once you get there? Don't go back. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. Um, so easy. Yeah, just, just well, keep feeding plants. Think, I think what it is is it's not a diet. Yeah, it's you know it's a lifestyle change. So when you you go vegan, it's not something you're going to do until you lose the weight and then stop. Yeah, you so, don't really have to worry about going back if so you stay that way. Is the only thing that you have changed is going on a plant based diet, or are there other things involved that you're incorporating? I mean, you go on like an hour walk, maybe four or five times a week. But yeah. as far as exercise, he's keeping it pretty low to moderate. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even classify it as moderate. And you're still having unbelievable results, which is showing you that your body really wants to be healthy and that it's actually hard for your body to keep weight on. Mm-hmm. You have to if be feeling well. Yeah. If you're eating well, your body wants to be healthy. When you give it what it needs, it very quickly tries to return to optimal health. So it shows you how powerful the standard American diet is in such a negative way. It can allow someone to keep on weight when it's so easy for it to come off if you give it the right fuel. Absolutely. So are you taking any medications still? Uh, yeah, I'm taking uh, antidepressants and uh, I'm still slowly going off of Adderall. Okay. But and that's going to take like a year. Oh, really? Yeah. How long did it take you, Adam? Well, I was addicted to it, uh-huh. so they stopped it day one. Wow. Um, you went cold turkey. I had to. I was in treatment, yeah. in a treatment so center. So they force you to. Yeah. They don't do yeah. like a wean you off type no. of thing. Okay. And the thing is that in rehab, I got them to put me on another medication, which is very similar to right. it. That's right, yeah. 
Because you were trying to game the system. I was trying, yeah, exactly, which is easy to do. It's like, oh, I'll get off the Adderall, but I'll get on Vyvanse, which is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got into sober living and they found out that I was, even at that point, I was breaking into the med cabinet and stealing more of it so I could still have it. Mm-hmm. They're like, look, this is it. You either stop taking this because you're clearly addicted to stimulants, not yeah. just Adderall. You stop taking this and stay in the treatment, which you sorely need, mm-hmm. or good luck. Right. You can go find a doctor to keep prescribing it to you, which I could have done. Right. But thankfully, I had gone through enough therapy to realize that I was still a very, very angry person. And like I would mentioned before in the last podcast, I don't have the skills to survive on the street. I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And my parents were, you know, they were not going to support me if I left treatment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had to stop right there. I had to just go from essentially a, a lot of it to zero. Yeah. So now you are completely off all medication. Yeah. Do you take any stimulants like coffee or anything to get through yeah, your day? Yeah, I do drink tea. I like black tea in the morning uh, because it does have I mean, more caffeine than, than green tea. But I would say that, yeah, I, I do rely on caffeine, but... But that's I, much better to rely on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're listening to the Food Hills Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Have you ever thought about why the cancer epidemic is on the rise instead of decreasing? Are you wondering, as I was, are we doing the right thing in our quest to beat cancer? Do we need to explore how our emotions affect our health? Um, yes. <laughs> All those and many more questions are going to be answered for you, your loved ones, your family and friends in the online health summit, Healing Cancer in This Century. The Healing Cancer in This Century Summit bridges the gap between modern integrative medical science, mind-body connection, energy healing science, and spiritual science. Register for free at foodhealsnation.com slash healing cancer. At no charge, you can watch the summit with over 40 excellent, amazing, incredible speakers and educators in the fields of modern integrative cancer treatments, energy healing, Reiki healing, emotional healing, naturopathic oncology, and more. Go to foodhealsnation.com slash healing cancer and register to experience this incredible conference for free. So you guys are about to embark on a big adventure. Yeah. Middle of May, right? May yeah. 16th? That's May right. 16th, yeah. yeah. Okay, tell us about that. It's called the Icebreaker Run, and it's a run to promote mental health awareness across the country. And we're partnered with amazing organizations like the Heron Project, which was started by Chris Heron, who was an NBA basketball player who was addicted to drugs, uh, heroin. He got kicked out of the league as a result of it. And so he started this foundation called the Heron Project to help with addiction. And he gives amazing presentations all over the country to, to schools, high schools, colleges, things like that. And we're also a partner with Mental Health America. And we have the amazing sponsors like Hoka 1-1, which is a great running shoe, um, Deep Sport. I know I'm not going to be able to list them all because there's a bunch, mm-hmm. but it's a, literally a run across the country. So we're running from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., with amazing ultra runners like Charlie Ingle and Bart Yasso and Chris Martin and Katra Corbett. And each runner will be responsible for a marathon a day for 24 straight days. And we're going to be doing a podcast from these. We're, we're traveling by RVs, these mm-hmm. big RVs, and we're going to be doing a podcast from that. And Bobby's the filmmaker on the on the crew, so he's awesome. going to be documenting the whole thing. We're going to be releasing daily videos on Vimeo. We have a Vimeo account. Cool. And then at the end of the run in D.C., 
Mental Health America will be kicking off its Mental Health Awareness Week, and we will present day one when the Awareness Week kicks off in, in Washington. Bobby's going to create a short film from the entire trip that will be screening there, and then Chris Heron will be there and, and all these presenters, and it should be really cool. So have you been training like crazy for a marathon? I have been. What's great is that it's not, I don't have to run a marathon a day like straight through. I was going to say, how is this going down? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm technically an alternate and I won't be joining the run until Dallas because I have a previous commitment. I, I work as a motivational speaker for Engine 2 mm-hmm. and the Engine 2 diet is partnered with Whole Foods and their big health immersion takes place in Sedona from the 14th to the 20th and I'll be there with amazing people like Dr. Michael Clapper, Garth mm-hmm. Davis is going to be there this year, Love Dr. Him. Doug Lyle, uh, who wrote The Pleasure Trap, mm-hmm. which is an amazing book, and of course, Rip Esselstyn and his father, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. What's really interesting is that this year in October, for the first time ever, it's going to be open to the general public, because cool. right now it's just open to Whole Foods employees who want to learn how to take charge of their health, uh, get off medications, lose weight. Whole Foods will pay for them to attend this immersion. It's like a $3,400 thing. Mm-hmm. But this year... And you can find out about it at engine2diet.com or forksoverknives.com. It's open to the general public, and all these amazing presenters are returning, and it's going to be pretty cool. But So that's where I'm going to be for the first week, but then I'll join the run, and hopefully I'll be able to keep up. But I, look, <laughs> I'm not assuming that I'm going to be able to do the whole marathon a day for 24 straight days. I'm going to be there for 10 days, but I'm certainly going to try because I'm. this is an opportunity that's too great to pass up. Yeah. It's interval running, so each person on the team will have a partner, and one person will run, and then their partner will run for an hour, and then the team number one runs for an hour, and then their partner runs for an hour, and then they're off for eight hours, while the other two teams go, and then you go again. And so it's It's tag team running. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's twenty four hours a day, so we'd run night or day, Mm -hmm. um, and you sleep twenty four hours a day. Yeah, the the buses, the RVs, they convert to sleep seven Mm -hmm. per uh, per Mm -hmm. bus, and I think there's like twelve to fourteen of us, depending on who's there because i know there's some crew members that are joining us later <laughs> i'm actually looking forward to seeing you like halfway through what it's like being on the bus with like tw- you know six really sweaty endurance people. runners for for you know 12 well, days well i mean if you guys i mean vegans and ultra runners are crazy intense people you know <laughs> that only want to talk about either being vegan or extreme running you know i don't consider myself an intense person you're like so. i'm an really? artist <laughs> so, i i would beg to differ on that bobby <laughs> It'll be interesting to see uh, what it's like. But it's a great idea because it, it's crazy endurance athletes running for mental health. Mm-hmm. And every single person on the run, every everyone who's a runner, has overcome some form of either mental health issue, whether it's addiction, whether it's depression. And so everyone's going to be sharing their story. So everyone has a, a personal impact and a real reason for them to be a part of this run. Yeah, We're going to be making stops. I'm not sure exactly which cities we're going to be stopping and giving presentations in, mm-hmm. but... You know, you can follow along at the icebreakerrun.org. Okay. Follow along with us. Join the conversation. There's a blog that's going on. And so it's going to be pretty cool. And buy a t-shirt because it supports us. Okay. Buy a (laughs) t-shirt. Awesome. So, Bobby, you're going to be filming this. And Mm -hmm. I know I'm a documentarian. I get it. Are you going to turn the camera on yourself during this time? Okay. There will be GoPros in the... Mm -hmm. So I will be filmed, but I'll, I'll try I'm editor too, so I'll be able to keep myself out of it. Right, right, right. Dude, we're so going to get you behind the camera. I know, you got to get him. Yeah. But what's great is like before I went vegan and lost this weight, if this opportunity were presented to me, I would say yes, but I would be 
terrified. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't think I could do it, but when you're overweight, when you're really overweight, your number one concern is being comfortable. Mm -hmm. When I would go out or be around a lot of people, I would sweat a lot Mm -hmm. when I was overweight. And I was, you know, always worried, like, is there going to be enough food, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't have to worry about that anymore, which is really nice. I mean, I'm still still nervous about this uh, because it's a lot of work, but it doesn't scare me anymore. Yeah, I understand wanting to be comfortable and not as an overweight person. Like, I need my things, and when I don't have them, I freak out. So I totally get that because these are the things that emotionally we hold on to that we think we need, whether we do or not, whether it's true or not, it's true in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I go out of town and I don't know where my juice bar is going to be or, like, I don't do tents, I don't sleep on the ground, I don't sleep in sleeping bags, I'm just not that person, I have to have my hotel room, like, I need my stuff, I need my things. So I, I completely relate to not having the restaurants or places to shop. Yeah. I told Bobby, I said, when it comes to the food, like, that's my, my number one concern, like, I don't compromise when it comes to what I put into my body. Right. Charlie Engel, who's the team captain, sent out an email with a list of all the staple foods. We're going to have a lot of rice and beans, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to be getting fresh produce. We have a support car that can run out and get fresh produce on a daily or, or wow. every other day. And he goes, anybody else have any suggestions? Let me know. And I immediately emailed back and said, oatmeal and cinnamon. Because I have to have that every morning. Okay, it has to be there. So <laughs> it will be now. So that's good. That's awesome. And it's good that you're going on this journey with other people who are like-minded. So you know that at least you're not the only one going, I need my stuff. Like this very, very healthy thing. Because I've been in situations where it's very hard to get what you need. You're, you're with a group of, let's say, entrepreneurs who are all you know, in the same boat in one way, but they're not vegan or they're not drinking the green juice and they're going to stop at McDonald's. And I'm like, I can't do that. No, I won't. No, exactly. And not only that, Bobby, I think one of the reasons why you're becoming more and more passionate about your lifestyle is the animal aspect of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think he's more an ethical vegan than he is uh, in it just for the health. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we went and visited Farm Sanctuary, the actual farm that's in California and if the listeners don't know what Farm Sanctuary is, Gene Bauer created this thing, I don't know, 30 years ago, right? Where it's a sanctuary for animals that come from factory farms. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great book called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. And we went to the farm that's here in, in California. And, you know, it's just this amazing experience to actually connect with these animals that have, they suffer the side effects of our daily choices. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the idea that I get kind of emotional when people say yeah well it was it was from a humane farm so it was slaughtered in a humane way Mm. i'm sorry but there's no humane way to take the life of something that doesn't want to die absolutely you know it doesn't matter how nice you are to it beforehand when you end its life when you take the life of something that does not want to die that's not humane just because it didn't feel pain doesn't mean that its life can be ended by your choice and how rare is it that they actually don't feel the pain is the right. sad thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're assuming that it doesn't, right. you know. I mean, that's like saying that, you know, the lethal injection is humane because it has minimal pain. I'm, I'm sorry, that's... Even if it's just the emotional pain, we've all seen videos. Yeah. You can tell they know. They know. They're in oh, yeah. The, you they're see the fear. videos where the, the animals watching mm-hmm. are freaking out yeah. because they know what's they know happening. What's I mean, yeah. you know, how arrogant is it to believe that non-human animals don't have the same rich and textured lives that we do and don't experience deep, passionate bonds and connections with other living things yeah. that have meaning yeah. for the sake of our appetite. I believe we have the right to say you don't get that. 
Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I mean. So what was the sanctuary like? What were the animals? Oh, they were great. Especially that goat. So yeah, we had just, we were at the very end of the tour. I was filming an interview between Adam and the, uh, the tour guide who also. I thought you were going to say Adam and the goat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was between Adam, the tour guide had gone vegan and cured herself of certain she had like an autoimmune disorder oh yeah she said she was had to be homeschooled in high school because of it it was like a crippling autoimmune disorder and so as we're interviewing like around the corner this goat comes out from around the corner looks and just walks up in the middle of the interview and it's just does this great sort of lean yeah (laughs) it it literally does lean over the like the wall to like poke his head and he's like it was really funny Uh, but there was you know the cows that were that were great i mean everything from cows to pigs goats uh bulls there were you know chickens roosters ducks emus and emus and llamas i mean everything and they all have names and you know and they all have friends and some of them like will will come in and and form you know yeah like the blind that blind goat yeah the blind goat it, they brought it in and it like immediately bonded with this other goat and they're always together and they're Aww. they're like best friends and there's a story Aww. about them on the website and you know it's wonderful to see them now because they feel like they're worth something they're valued yeah. you know and and they should be and this is like what i would say if if there are any other environmental filmmakers out there who aren't vegan and think of course you have the right to be and, and call yourself an environmental filmmaker and not be vegan but when you make environment, especially short environmental films that don't reach the mass public, your films are screened at environmental film festivals where you are speaking to the choir. Mm. People who are not environmentalists do not go to environmental film, film right, festivals. Right. So when you go vegan every day, you're literally doing something a lot more than whatever your film will do. Unless you're making feature environmental yeah, films. Unless it's produced by Leo, like Cowspiracy, right. not too many people are going to see it. Exactly. So. Well, in Cowspiracy, they say when you go vegan, you save one animal a day. Yeah. Which, and it, it's even, let's say you're not a vegan, but you eat vegan that day, you're saving one animal. And that stuck with me. And a thousand gallons of water. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's a whole another issue. But yeah. exactly. Like, fuck taking shorter showers. Stop eating meat. No, exactly right. That's exactly right. You, you know, climate you, change. The fact is that as far as making environmental impact, you can drive a Hummer yeah. and be a vegan and make more of an environmental impact than the non-vegan who drives the Prius or even rides their bike to work. Yes. Thank you for justifying my SUV. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fine because you're a vegan. <laughs> Speaking of filmmaking, so what really got you into filmmaking and how did you transform it to now do these films with subject matters that matter, whether it's veganism or social justice? Tell us about that. Well, I went to film school. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, mm-hmm. SCAD. Yep, I know um, SCAD very well. And I started out, I was doing narrative films, and uh, I just kind of got fed up with the, the whole process of it. Whatever magic you think is there, is there <laughs> I hate to, to you know ruin anyone's dreams, but you become very jaded yeah. very quickly. And uh, that's what happened to me. And my senior year, I took environmental filmmaking class at mm-hmm. SCAD, and so it connected filmmaking with something I couldn't be more passionate about yeah. with the wildlife. And that that just like, you know, relit my pilot light for mm-hmm. filmmaking. Not only that, the short film that you did that won the award, you did it yourself, the yeah. entire thing, all of it. The filming, the editing, you produced it, I mean, in what, the swamps of Georgia? Fresh, freshwater wetlands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he had an amazing professor 
Professor McCary, mm-hmm. who is an award-winning National Geographic filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember hearing that when you screened it in the class, you, you really wanted to know how if you were going to get an A in the class or not. And you mm-hmm. went up you go, so is this any good? He goes, you're getting an A. <laughs> <laughs> No, because he was just like, I can't wait anymore. It was it was such a, an emotional and exhausting toll for him to make this film. And I would get phone calls like the night a- after he filmed and he'd be like, seven hours of lugging all this shit all the way out there. And then I didn't even get the shot that I wanted and you know, all that. And <laughs> That's what you got to be you know, willing to do if you want to be a wildlife filmmaker or an environmental filmmaker is sit and wait. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was just watching a new... I don't know if there's a new group of the Planet Earth series. Mm-hmm. There was some, I thought I'd seen all of them, but there was some new ones out that I hadn't seen. Yeah, and they've done they, a few. I, I mean, I'm just, I watch those and go, how do they do this? How do they, oh, but there was one of like these birds, the birds. Birds across, of Paradise. Nope, no, that no. one is amazing. Okay. Yeah. And I look at human men and I'm like, they need to step up their game compared to those birds. Right? But anyway. Have you been to a club in LA? <laughs> <It's> nothing, <laughs> nothing compared to the birds of paradise. They, they put in some effort. Their outfits alone. But anyway, I digress. So they had the, there's the geese, I think they're geese that cross the Himalayas. Yeah. You know about those? They were showing their babies. The nest is high up on a mountain cliff. And the first flight, the babies can't fly yet. So there's like, I don't know, six or seven of them. And I'll just, I won't go through it. I cried a little bit and only four make it. But it's uh-huh. like, they basically just fly out they have to catch them at the right time and then some of them bounce the little goslings they're they're bouncing down the hill and they most of them survived it was a little sad and i was like wow mother nature can be a bitch but anyway (laughs) my point was i couldn't believe that they captured this and then they reconvened at the bottom of a mountain i'm like how did they even how did they do this well there's a great documentary about birds called wing migration if you haven't seen it it's on if talk about how did they capture it it was amazing. They did this thing called, uh, what's the science where they implant a person to be there at the birth of these birds? All, all different species of birds. Oh, they kind of like sit in a hut, right? Well, yeah, they, they're, they are the, the mother, so to speak, of these birds. And they're all different kinds of migrational birds. And so the person would be there with them. The person that was going to be the mother would have a specific call for each of them. And these birds would follow them anywhere. Wow. So when they're doing their migration the caretaker or the mother, so to speak, would be there with them and they would do a call and the birds would be right in front of them. And so they get in these gliders and they film these birds in flight with them and they're not affected by it because they see the person in the glider as their mother. So they're doing what they naturally do. They're following their parent along their migration. And it is unbelievable. Same filmmakers made uh, March of of the the Penguins. Penguins. Yeah, Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, I think that Bobby's probably going to have a newfound level of compassion for wildlife filmmaking now that you know that when you're there even when you're not making a film every daily action that you do is is for the benefit of the entire planet yeah i know that that makes me feel good about who i am because i do care about animal welfare very much and i did have to come to terms with the fact that i was kind of a hypocrite before when i said that i cared about animals but ate meat but I'm not trying to judge anyone. This is just my personal experience. That's mm-hmm. how I felt about myself. That's why I'm very s- certain that Bobby will not be going back to eating meat. Not just the health reasons, but... And I really don't miss it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it was so easy for me to give up. I was like, well, done. Like, I never went back. I never yeah. went back. for. I did it one thing at a time, granted. Like, But once I gave up chicken, never went back. 
Yeah. Once I gave up turkey, never went back. It was very easy. I understand that some people may be addicted to things like their Big Macs, and it may be a lot harder, but for me, it was easy. Yeah, it's because they're actually addicted to Big Macs. Yeah. You are actually addicted to it because it is a super normal stimuli. It is yeah. food created for the purpose of creating a high dopamine response in your brain. Yeah. It is in itself addicting. Yeah. And that's... that. And they do that on purpose. They, yeah, they and do the it on purpose. fast food restaurants do it on purpose. And not only fast food restaurants, but any food that that isn't part of our natural diet, what this this organism, the human being, was supposed to eat, which is whole natural plant foods. Uh, when you eat cheese or processed foods or anything that has super concentrated calories and fat and sugar and salt, you experience a dopamine response in the brain that is higher than normal. It's elevated. And since the number one motivator of all living creatures on this planet is pleasure-seeking, uh, the top three are pleasure-seeking, pain avoidance, and energy conservation. When you get that dopamine response, your brain doesn't recognize that this food is either artificially created or not from your natural environment. Your brain is going to tell you that that is good, that that is what you need to keep doing yeah. because the dopamine response is so necessary for what we think is going to be the benefit of the likelihood of our genes being on this planet. Mm-hmm. So you get stuck in this thing called the pleasure trap, which is what Doug Lyle writes about, how if we knew what was necessary to be happy and healthy, why is it so hard to do it? When we put ourselves in this trap of eating foods that we're not designed to eat, our brain is telling us that even though we're doing the wrong thing, it feels right. And then when you do the right thing, it feels wrong because the dopamine response is not what you normally are used to anymore. Yeah. And so it feels low and you're like, well, this isn't good. Yeah, I can relate to that so much, especially because, like, for me, it was easy to give up animal products, um, dairy and fish being, like, the last things that I gave up. And I was like, I don't need this. I don't crave it. But sugar is the hardest thing for me to give up. And it's because it's that pleasure that you're talking about that I'm still seeking. And I bet it's similar to drug addiction. I mean, it's something in the brain is craving that. the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. I think opiates are the ones that work with the, the sugar... Pleasure. It's some, there's some crossover with sugar and opiates. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's necessary to point out that it's more than just the chemical hooks. There's a great presentation by a guy named Johan Hari, mm-hmm. and he did a TED Talk presentation called yes, "Everything You Think I You Know About Addiction that. Is Wrong." Yes. Right? Did yeah. we talk about his book? We also? might have. I think we um, did. But he talks about the, yeah. he talks about how if all it was was the chemical hooks, then all you could do is take yourself off of the drug for a certain amount of time, and it would be over with. It can't be just the chemical hooks because whenever you let's say someone is suffers an injury and has to go into the hospital and they're put on painkillers and the diamorphine that they're given is actually heroin that's medically pure heroin they don't come out junkies mm-hmm. um, and that's because they have these deep bonds and connections with people that they care about and the jobs that they have and, and the life that they live that's more important um, and doesn't allow them to track so what addiction really is is it's a bond with something that gives your life meaning and purpose and validates your life and when it's a destructive substance that separates you from society because it's not socially acceptable and the more separated you become the more necessary that bond is and so your entire life becomes about that drug and you know one of the things i tell people is if you think i'm any less addicted to this lifestyle that i lead now than i was to my destructive lifestyle you're fooling yourself mm. the difference is that i realize that yes i am an addict and I have an addictive personality. And I was also a very good addict. I was a great drug addict. I knew how to get my drug when I needed it. Mm-hmm. And look, I became a serious drug addict. I was clearly very successful as a drug addict. I can use that. I just have to change it from a destructive to a constructive. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what I did. And the great thing is that this addiction makes my world bigger. Yeah. 
it allows me to connect with people and with society and make bonds and connections that are meaningful, that give my life meaning. And I think that that's why I, I don't ever want to go back, is that I was able to find something that created a new way of living for me that's that's amazing. So yeah, I don't think it's, it's simply the chemical hooks, but it's not just one or the other. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's definitely the emotion behind it, what you're doing when you're doing it, how it makes you feel, like yeah. what, what pain does it cover up sometimes, right? And I mean, I love what you said. It's like, I feel like I'm probably addicted to the green juice because when I don't have it, I'm like, I need my green juice. Right. I need I need to have it today. And it's emotional. It's like, yeah. I'm not going to be healthy without it. So there's some fear there. Do we oh. need to break your addiction? Yes. <laughs> no. I don't think so. No, no but I, I completely get it because I, there's, there's, I get a level of anxiety when I feel like it's going to be an issue. Am I or am I not going to be able to get the food that I'm accustomed to eating now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know I'll be fine if I have to make some substitutions, if I have to eat oil. I talked about, I don't know if it was on this podcast, but I talked about how we went to Israel last year. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been to Israel, they basically shower you in olive oil when you get there. And I don't eat oil. <laughs> but while I was there, there was, you know, I was visiting family and they cooked a meal. And so I ate it. I made sure that what I ate was vegan, but there was oil in it. And I'm fine. Right, but right. there was a level of anxiety. It's like, okay, just relax. Yeah. This is not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. It's one meal. Yeah, it's because this is what I feel comfortable with. Yeah. And so we want what makes us comfortable. But that goes on for both ends. Before, my drug made me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we always want what's making us comfortable, even if it's killing us. Absolutely. So I have a question. Before we started, you guys were talking about an ESP twin experience. You called it quantum entanglement. Can you tell us that story? So I was in the hospital. What happened? It was a real freak accident. I was running the bath water, and I checked to see if it was hot yet. So I put it right under the bath spout, and it was way too hot. And as I yanked my hand away from it, it caught the lip of the spout and just tore my finger almost Oof. off. Oh, my God. I know, right? It's one of those things where the doctor's like, okay, that'll never happen to you again. <laughs> um, and so I went to the hospital. It was in the middle of the night, and you know, my mom met us at the hospital, Jewish uh, mother. She, yeah. she'll, she'll come to the hospital. The and I'm sitting in there, and Bobby was waiting in the waiting room. Which was, like, far away from yeah, where Yeah, like, was. basically on the other side of the, the wing. And I'm sitting there. I'm in quite a bit of, uh, of pain. And I said, can you get Bobby? Can you tell him to come in here? She's like, well, I don't really, you know, know where he is. I said, well, he's in the, you know, he's in the waiting room next door. He's talking to that lady. I can hear him. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, he's talking to some woman. He's watching Dumbo or something. I can hear him. And she goes outside. And I said, can you please just go get him? And she leaves. And I don't know why it's taking so long for her to come back. But she comes back. The look on her face, she goes, I don't know how you knew all that stuff. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, he was in in this room talking to this old woman and for the kids that were waiting there, they had Dumbo on TV. Oh, my God. And it, was I, it was Winnie the Pooh. Or Winnie the Pooh, whatever it was. But um, <laughs> I swear I heard it like it was next door. And wow. that's kind of crazy. I mean, that happened. Yeah, it actually happened. So but That what? stuff happens all the time. That happened to my mom and my aunt all the time. Yeah. But it was like a really heightened experience. And, you know, so that kind of thing doesn't happen all the time. Apparently it did when we were kids, though. So is this an example of quantum entanglement? Well, this, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if this really happened. Wait, if what really happened? If what happened was really, you know, twinning or twin ESP, whatever you call uh-huh. it, can it be explained as quantum entanglement and not just, you know, 
voodoo magic, whatever. You know, <laughs> voodoo <laughs> magic. You know, like what, paranormal, you know. Yeah. Instead of it just being classified as paranormal. Or like psychic ability. Or psychic, yeah. It's something that the scientific community doesn't want anything to do with. Right, right. You know. Even though they know there's other dimensions and there's things we don't always, that we can't understand. Right, but the thing about other dimensions like string theory or M theory is it's unprovable. By by science. Yeah. Until like another 50 or 100 years. But it's experientially provable, right? Because everything is experiential. So if I'm a person that's like, well, I believe in science, but I also believe in my experiences, just like you guys have that experience. If I've had experience, then I believe in it. Yeah. So it's true for me. So then it's true. For you, yes. Now you're talking about now you're talking about belief. But it's true for me. Yeah, but because, that's my because truth. truth, truth is as Einstein said, there's Relative. no such thing as truth. Right, exactly. Yeah. Truth is the subjective belief of the individual, whereas fact it doesn't care what you believe mm-hmm. uh, because they exist whether your beliefs believe in them or not. Like laws, like exactly the law of gravity. Exactly, mm-hmm. whether you believe in gravity or not, it's there. What about the law of attraction? Well, I mean, I know that there are people that I'm attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, the law of attraction, yeah. like, like attracts like, like yeah. every, it's a very spiritual. Well, like, like the energy that you put out is the energy that you receive, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I didn't believe in that kind of stuff until I started doing, you know, this living this new lifestyle and then amazing. Living in L.A.? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, coincident- kinda, coincidentally, didn't you sign the contract? When I you did. Came yeah, Los apparently Angeles? I did. I must have been still high when that happened. But um, <laughs> See, you know, ever since then, like amazing people have been put in my path that are yeah. like you, both of you all, Rich Roll, yeah. Rip Esselstyn. Yeah. You know, like all these things have allowed me to put out more energy to more people in. I don't know. You it's a fact. Well, it's a fact. <laughs> for me, Deal with I, I'm, it. I'm, I'm an atheist, so until it's proven using a proven scientific method, maybe. You can be an atheist and still believe in the law of attraction. Law of attraction has nothing to do with God. Well, no, yeah. no, I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, but for it, him, it tells, he has to have proof. He's a scientist. No, science I like that. Science mind. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like this I, conversation. I won't, I won't he wears he wears the thicker frame glasses for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and you only have half frames. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, right. I won't say it doesn't exist, but I mean that's a horrible reason to believe in something <laughs> because you can't because you can't prove it doesn't exist, which goes against the laws of science you can't prove a negative my father's uh, got a master's in physics he loves that stuff yeah he'd try he would st- i would ask for help from with my math homework when we were when i was young and he'd show me and then be like let me show you how one plus one really equals one and i'd be like dad yeah. <laughs> i don't care <laughs> like i just no. have to get an a <laughs> yeah i'm like i don't care he was so passionate about it but that kind of stuff later so i did of- you did you ever write on a test when you were little one plus one and you answered one and then on the side wrote my dad will explain this no. to you <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to icebreakerrun.org to follow their journey and buy a t-shirt if you want to support Adam and Bobby and the Icebreaker Run. And you can also follow Adam and Bobby at sudbrothers.com. Stay tuned for more with the Sud Brothers. Next week, they are answering your questions about overcoming ADD without drugs, detoxing from addiction, and more. See you next time, Food Heals Nation. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Sign up for our mailing list at foodhealsnation.com and receive a free gift from us. That's right. We have created a brand new guide for you, our Food Heals Nation. Yep. The guide is called Health, Longevity, and Weight Loss Secrets, and it's full of tips, tricks, and secrets collected from some of our favorite guests from the Food Heals podcast. In it, you will learn crazy cool stuff like how to live to 99 with no wrinkles. Susie's grandfather. That's right. How to attract the one. Ooh. 
how to never get a cavity again. My favorite. Yes, my favorite too. And the real secret to weight loss, or maybe that's my favorite. They're all my favorites. And so much more. <laughs> so sign up for our newsletter at foodhealsnation.com. We won't spam you, we promise. No, we won't send you too many emails. Trust us, we're too busy for that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so go to foodhealsnation.com to get your free guide, health, longevity, and weight loss secrets from the Food Heals podcast by subscribing today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put in their Lululemons and take a yoga class while drinking a green juice. If you experience any of these symptoms, text your priest immediately. 